With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. They have stood underneath that mistletoe. They watched your love fly. Ever mama and ever papa Who have seen the reindeer fly They know Christmas is for children Especially if they fly Merry Christmas my children On that blessed Christmas was no Negro in the crowd there When that little white boy was born Merry Christmas, white children And may all your dreams come true Christ didn't die for no Twelve lengths that sweetness tended Red ribbon all around Electric trains and dolls and dandies It's all wasted on the brown Presents wrapped in Christmas
Uncle Ruckus, for those who are not familiar, we've done quite a few programs uh, here addressing the folly in the boondocks, and uh, that was uh, Uncle Ruckus. Uh, Christmas is for children. Uh, I think he's very specific. Christmas is for white children. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, <clears throat> really excited about uh, today's broadcast. Persistence. I said that a lot <laughs> um, over the course of the uh, run of this program. Persistence. Uh, a lot of the guests that I have wanted to have on the show um, is, is, has not been a first-time thing. Uh, sometimes it has, has taken many attempts. Uh, to get in touch with them, um, to actually get them on the program, many emails, uh, many months, um, persistence, um, just like with white supremacy, you know, the first the first uh, effort to uh, get rid of this thing uh, has not been successful, but you keep plugging away, uh, keep plugging away, and that's what happened with this program. I got help from listeners as well. Um, I have. Uh, as has been the case often, um, ask for help when you need it. Some of the folks who listen to the program, I think they knew of uh, our guest for today's program or something, um, but they were able to help as well, kind of letting him know that uh, I wanted him to come on the program and maybe, hopefully, putting in a good word for us. So thank you for the assistance. I'll most likely be asking again. Um, and also, before <clears throat> before we get started uh, with this program, uh, we will be coming back directly following this broadcast we'll have our uh round table on the film zeitgeist uh or the films i should say excuse me um both of those films uh immediately following this broadcast it'll be at 10 p.m eastern 9 p.m central and uh 7 p.m pacific uh but the round table and the way it will work <clears throat> uh just call in uh, if you want to participate in the discussion, uh, just dial in. And uh, as soon as folks call in, I will open the lines up. It's not going to be a Gus dominating the discussion. Uh, it will be uh, us having dialogue about Zeitgeist. Um, both of the films, if you've seen the trailers for part three, you can talk about that too, but that'll be coming up uh, right after this broadcast. At any rate, our guest uh, for the first program uh, for Saturday December 25th, 2010, uh, he has authored uh, more than one text dealing with how black people have been confused and retarded by the Christian religion. Uh, I think several listeners have requested that we discuss this matter. Uh, I think from at least from what I have read, uh, he does an outstanding job of connecting a lot of our confusion around uh, so-called Christianity with slavery, earlier forms of racism, white supremacy, and how that has had a, uh, a generational negative impact on black people. Uh, some of the books that he's written, uh, Holy Lockdown, Does the Church Limit Black Progress? Uh, his newest text, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, his newest text, uh, The New Doubting Thomas. Um, real pleasure to have him on the program. Uh, I was I was kind of joking when I asked if he would uh, do a program with us on December 25th, and uh, he said I don't I don't celebrate all that foolishness, and I was like I don't either. That's why I thought it would be great to have him on the program, and we have a pretty full switchboard already, so I uh, suspected a lot of folks would be uh, 
happy to hear from him, our guest, Mr. Uh, Jeremiah Kamara. Mr. Kamara, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing some of your uh, Saturday evening with us. Um, really appreciate the opportunity to hear from you, sir. Oh, thank you uh, very much, Gus. I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad uh, you gave me the opportunity. For sure, for sure. Um, the website, uh, anyone listening, if you would like to uh, get a copy of his work, you can go to holylockdown.com, uh, holylockdown.com. It's linked if you're listening at Blog Talk Radio. You can just click his name, and it'll take you right to uh, his website. Uh, he has a blog as well, so you can read uh, some of his more recent posts, and you can purchase uh, his outstanding material, holylockdown.com. Uh, Mr. Kamara, if you would like to uh, kind of tell our listeners anything about yourself, uh, so just so we have a better idea of who you are and the work that you do. Um, no problem. Well, my name is Jeremiah Kamara. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm the author of the, the book Holy Lockdown, Dr. Church Limit, Black Progress, and also the New Daddy Thomas, the Bible, Black Folks, and Blind Belief. Uh, was Early on, I was a frequent guest on the uh, Michael Basin show, which kind of brought uh, national attention, so I'm very appreciative for that. Born and raised in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm also the uh, creator of the newest uh, series, a video mini-series called Slave Sermon. And uh, which basically addresses a lot of the um, rhetoric that pours from the pulpits every Sunday that uh, I feel is um, crippling us psychologically and contributing to our psychological demise. Um, back in 1990, I believe, I created a video uh, documentary entitled Psychological Wars, which examined the uh, subliminal messages in sitcoms, cartoons, and commercials that negatively impacted the psyche of African-Americans. It was endorsed by uh, Naeem Akbar and uh, Juwanza Kanjusu. And uh, I have a publishing company, which is 12th House Publishing, uh, based here uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm currently working on a, a documentary. Uh, I guess it would be in the line of religious, if, if anyone has seen that, by uh, Bill Maher. Uh, but it's, it's going to be focused more around uh, black people because we do have a very unique and different dynamic when it comes to religion uh, that most people who uh, were not raised in black households would definitely not be able to relate to. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, for listeners who have not seen you, uh, you are a black male. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Outstanding. Um, this program, uh, the cows context of white supremacy, uh, I have unfortunately concluded that we are in a global system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, I use those two terms interchangeably, use the exact same definition for both terms. Uh, that definition is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Um, do you believe that such a system exists, and do you think that is an accurate definition? 
Well, I do. I think that system exists. You know, when we look at this whole, um, you know, we can only base it on on a global level because those are the people that are, you know, pulling the strings. Uh, When we look at these euphemisms out here of New World Order and all of that kind of stuff, those are just basically, like I said, euphemisms uh, that really are describing uh, the power structures that uh, are currently in the hands of the British Empire and the American Empire, and they want to preserve that. You know, they had the saying that the sun never sets on the British Empire, and they want to uh, continue with that legacy. And uh, everywhere you go around the world, you have traces of of European dominance. You know, you one of the most basic questions you can ask is, you know, uh, in Rome, when you go to the Vatican, <laughs> you see all this gold that's in the Vatican, uh, gold is not indigenous to Rome, so how do they get it? So they want to maintain that dominance. So I definitely uh, would agree with that. Uh, it's just a, uh, I think uh, it's also been described as an Anglo-American agenda that they want to uphold, and so they will do anything in their power in order to keep it. Uh, it's a matter of their survival, and um, it's just a whole system that's created and designed to to keep the white power structure, the white power equation of white over non-white. So, yeah, I would say I have to agree with that. Mm. I want you all to uh, keep that in mind for program number two today, uh, those euphemisms that they that people use to cover up for the system of white domination. Keep that in mind. Um, my co-host, Justice, I believe she is with us. Uh, Justice, if you're on the line and you have some questions you would like to ask uh, Mr. Kamara, your line should be open. Uh, please feel free. Hello, Mr. Kamara. What does Christianity, hey, how are you? What does Christianity mean to you? Wow. Well, Christianity kind of means what we just described, you know, global dominance. It was put here. Uh, not for the purposes of uh, indoctrinating people with spirituality or uplifting or enlightening people. It was put here as a control mechanism, as a great diversion to divert people uh, into the hands of the government and Christianity, which is really essentially the same. There is no separation between church and state. The church and the government has always walked hand in hand. In fact, you cannot be a president or, you know, even a member of Congress unless you are a professed Christian. And so it it means dominance to me. It means subjugation. It means colonization. It means enslavement. Um, uh, it, It means psychological control. It means brain being brainwashed. And uh, it, it, it also means a complete transformation of our uh, imagination. It is the manipulation of the imagination. So those are just some of many things that Christianity means to me. Okay. Um, Can you please explain to our listeners why you focus on Christianity? Well, Christianity um, you know, I would also be considered a black nationalist because my energies and my time and effort is is, is uh, geared and directed toward the upliftment of black people. Uh, 
And so Christianity, uh, especially in this country, is the dominant race amongst black people. You know, we were uh, made to believe, which I call make-believe. Uh, we had a shotgun thing with Christianity. It, there were laws that prohibited us from having any other belief system. And so I focus on, on Christianity because it is the dominant religion of this country. Uh there were laws that were passed that uh, that uh, made it mandatory, especially in Virginia, that made it mandatory to adopt the religious belief system of the dominant culture, and that happened to be Christianity. If our slave uh, owners uh, had been Hindu, then I probably would be focusing on Hindu. If they had been predominantly Muslim, I would be focusing on that. That is why. Uh, to focus on uh, uh, Christianity It is a religion that has permeated The psyche of our people And um, That is uh, you know Still prevalent today It's one of the, still the fastest growing religion in Africa Which is being Consumed With Christianity uh, To degrees that Are immeasurable And so um, I think that, that that we have to focus on that Plus it's you know, it's 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 all tied in with the three Judeo, you know, Christian religions. Do you think white people are trying to use Christianity as a tool to confuse non-white people? If so, how? Can you repeat your question, please. Do you think white people are trying to use Christianity as a tool to confuse black people? If so, how? Well, I, you know, when we use that term, white people, I, I don't want to classify all white people, of course. They wouldn't fall into that category, but I don't think that they're – I think they actually believe in their belief system because when they go around, they see images that look like them, you know. You can paint Jesus white. You can dip him uh, – I'm paint, paint him black. You can dip him in chocolate. But when you go to Walmart and, you know, stores like that, these named stores – you're going to see images of white Jesus. So it appeals to them psychologically. If blacks and whites were two teams competing psychologically, whites would have the home field advantage. They, we have been inculcated with imagery. So I wouldn't say that white people in general are trying to confuse whites. I would just say that uh, Christianity, because it has been linked through imagery, with white people have confused have already confused black people. We are in a state of confusion uh, based off of that. So I don't say the average white person goes around with deliberate intentions of trying to confuse black people. I think that your average white who is a Christian actually believes in these stories as evidence as today, this holiday. They actually believe that there was a man named Jesus and he had white skin and he was born on December 25th. Now, if we buy into that paradigm, then it doesn't matter what their intentions are. We are confused just by accepting that paradigm. That is a very confusing, convoluted paradigm in and of itself. How is Christianity affecting you as a black male now? But it's not other than the fact that I have to spend uh, 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 my time to try to, um, I guess, uh, just create a different paradigm 
Christianity doesn't affect me. I do not consider myself a Christian, uh, and so therefore it doesn't affect me. But I am affected by Christianity, unfortunately, because those that are around me, most people that I come in contact with are indeed Christians. And so it has an effect just in, in, in terms of those it has an effect on me when church is let out and the traffic here in Atlanta is in a gridlock. That has an effect on me. It has an effect on me when we talk to people who are basically in a mental health crisis uh, uh, with, you know, some of the things that they believe. It, it, it affects me when some of your friends uh, disassociate themselves with you because of your belief system. But in no way am I saddened by this. I'm very liberated and I'm very happy to wake up a free, sovereign, uh, free-thinking individual. But uh, those would be some of the ways that Christianity would affect me, I would say, more indirectly than directly. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Um I guess it would be correct uh, for me to start my questions. Uh, December 25th, um, can you talk about the uh, psychological impact, um, spiritual debt, if you will, of uh, celebrating uh, so-called Christmas? And uh, I think that's kind of a double whammy, uh, the, the birth of, of Jesus. So you're worshiping one white person, and then you got Santa Claus in there, too, another white person. Well, you know, I don't think we get... I don't think we look into it that deeply because if we did, we would recognize that they're one of the same people. You know, they both know when we're sleeping. They both know when we're awake. They both reward us uh, and, 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 and determine whether we have been naughty or nice. Uh, they both uh, give us gifts. We, we have to wait on both of them. Uh, they both are characters that we've never seen. Um, they both are are. are fictionalized characters, neither one are historical characters, so they're really one and the same. And so, uh, you know, when we look at this uh, debt, it, neither one of them are, are basically um, uh, substantive. They have no real value. And um, so I really don't see a big distinction. It's just that Santa Claus is not in the Bible and Jesus is, is throughout the, you know, is um exists only uh throughout the uh, New Testament, but in terms of their characteristics, there's not a whole lot of distinction between, you know, Santa Claus and Jesus. And so um you have people who have yet to uh understand that when you look at uh, Mithra, who probably was the last great mythological savior that existed prior to Jesus who existed in Rome, it was a very seamless transition from Mithras into Jesus because they were both born on December the 25th. They both were born of a virgin, and they both considered themselves the light of the world and the sons of God. So when Christianity was created, uh, it wasn't a big leap for Constantinople, the Roman Empire at that time, to switch gears and accept Jesus because he had many of the same characteristics as Mithras did. So this day, December 25th, is also a day that is shared by many other, you know, mythological saviors. 
would you, I guess any of our folks who are listening in um, who have children, would you encourage black people to uh, just what would your, your thoughts or suggestions be around uh, Christmas and how you celebrate it, if you should celebrate it at all? Well, I mean, you know, Christians, they, I find that many of them can be very contradictory in their statements. They, they espouse the idea that truth can make you free, but at the same time, they uphold a lie on, on Christmas, and you work hard all year round, and then you attribute it to a bearded uh, white man coming down your chimney. And so I think that if you, you know, just raise your children uh, and, and, and not be afraid to tell them the truth, I think that's the best way. I mean, my children are grown, and we never had a tree. We never put lights out, and they are not axe murderers. They are doing fine. They are very giving. We showed them love. We showed them Christmas throughout the year, and they have not felt deprived, um, you know, and we're not going to let one holiday dictate uh, our actions, um, you know, with our with our friends, children, or, or family. So, I mean, you know, if we really believe that the truth will make us free, then I think it's time that we start telling the truth. If you work hard, then give the credit to yourself. Say, hey, look, your mother and, your, and, and, and I worked hard to get, get, give you these presents, and that's where they come from. But you don't have to set aside one particular day. Those who celebrate Christmas, however, let me add this. I have no problem with it. Uh, I, my job is to present truth to you. Uh, through my art, uh, through my books, uh, through my writing, through my presentations. And if you can find something of value in there that you can use to empower yourself, to better yourself, to enlighten yourself, then by all means feel free to to take it and, and use it. But it's not my intentions to act as a proselytizing agent uh, to convert you from, from this or that or to persuade or dissuade you. Uh, my job, like I said, is to present the truth. So, but these are my 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 views on Christmas, uh, which is just a dead uh, day to me. Uh, <clears throat> nothing's open, but I enjoy time, uh, you know, spending uh, with my family, and um, I've just been truthful with them when it comes to that. And my children uh, have not missed out on anything. Context. Of white supremacy, our guest, Mr. Jeremiah Kamara, uh, the website holylockdown.com. Um, you have a, a blog post where you talk about why you focus on black people and how they have been impacted by Christianity. Um, can you elaborate on that with our audience? Yeah, sure. You know, um, we definitely have a different relationship, you know, with Christianity. You know, we were told that um, that uh, the Bible was the roadmap to uh, eternal life. And we were told that uh, if we accepted Jesus as our personal Savior, then all would be fine and we would live, uh, uh, you know, a life uh, free of the uh, miseries and constraints that we had experienced uh, during our enslavement period. But we found out that this was not the case because we uh, ran into an extreme paradox, which on one hand suggested that Jesus was the collaborator of our physical enslavement, 
yet the uh, liberator of our souls. And so that was a very perplexing paradox that we have yet to juxtapose. In other words, Jesus was used as uh, he, he, he approved of, or the way that we were taught this during our enslavement period, is he condoned our physical bodies to be enslaved. But if we believe in him, then he would grant us the opportunity to dwell with him freely uh, up in heaven. Now, in the midst of all of this information that we had to process and digest, uh, we were then provided with imagery that uh, reflected uh, in appearance our oppressor. And so for many years, you know, to make us feel better and as an ego defense mechanism, we uh, tried to approach the Bible with a new hermeneutics. We uh, uh, created characters in the Bible who looked like us. And uh, irrespective of the non-historical reality of these characters in the Bible, um, you know, 82% of African Americans are members of churches. And uh, the church has really followed us throughout history. We've used it uh, as our place to strategize during the civil rights movement. And the church is the lead character in the black community. But it's easy to be the lead character in a movie when you're the only one in it. That is the only institution that exists today where blacks have complete control of the operation. Uh, Before we were given that complete control, however, we were under the supervision of whites on the plantation. There were no, there was no early preaching without the presence of the white um, overseer to to, to make certain that uh, what we were preaching had nothing to do uh, with insurrection. And so uh, after we were uh, given the green light to worship on our own and, 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 and create churches. We have still been creating churches uh, to this day, so we, we continue to do so. So we have a very unique dynamic with relations, uh, dynamic relationship with religion uh, that other groups just um, have not experienced. And so uh, uh, when you when you visit black communities around the country, they are inundated uh, with black churches, and um, it is a stark contrast to see black communities uh, filled with uh, churches, but yet all of the goods and services are being sold to us by non-blacks. We have over 85,000 predominantly black churches in this country, and at some point in time we have to ask ourselves, what is it doing how are we being affected by this, negatively or positively? What actually is it that we're doing beside, beside, you know, stirring us up emotionally, making us feel better, giving us temporary fixes, uh, conditioning us to lean on the everlasting arms, uh, et cetera, et cetera? What tangible or empirical evidence can we point to the church's effectiveness from a collective standpoint? And there's very little to show for, or put it like this, our praise is definitely not commensurate with our productivity. 
what uh okay i'm I'm just gonna push back so what what about the people who would say the church has been the hub of black people's effort to combat racism white supremacy uh the church was the center of the so called civil rights movement uh many ministers members of the uh african american church black church have uh, played a prominent role in uh, just working to to help and aid black people in general. What what would your response be to that? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, I I, I mentioned some of that in my last comment. The church was all we had. You know, I mean, what other institution, you know, do we have? When, When you were prior to the, prior to the church, you were called a boy. You were a boy, you were an uncle, etc. But when you were in church, you were Deacon Jones, you were Reverend Smith, you were Minister Johnson. So it gave you a status in the community. It elevated you to a level of respectability. But the church, however, is a building. It's not the it's not the tenets of Christianity that uh, we can hold responsible for the progresses that we have made. When a person is in pain, they say, ouch, no matter what they believe in. It is a sad commentary to say that it was Christianity that uh, was responsible behind the progress we made during the civil rights movement because if that was the case, then we are only as powerful as our belief system. And we know that that uh, is not true because people have what's called self-determination. We know, you know, we were fighting for human dignity. And I don't think that Rosa Parks or many of the other uh, people who refused to uh, sit on the person pondered what Paul or Peter would have done prior to doing that. She was tired and her feet hurt and that had nothing to do with religion. So the church is a building. We have created these buildings and it's the main place. You know, uh, uh, this is why you see most of our leadership have been minister this and reverend this and minister that because these were the positions that we were afforded. You have many other positions such as uh, you know, doctors and lawyers, et cetera, who, where you have to take a bar. You have to take an exam. You have to pass a test in order to to be a judge, to be a, to be an attorney, you know, to practice law, et cetera. But there is no such test to be a minister or a reverend. All you have to do is say God called you. And so it's an easy transition into this profession. And this is why about 65 to 70% of our preachers their fathers were preachers. Their grandfathers were preachers. So it was a seamless transition into the the uh, industry of 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 the church. Okay, I know because black people will they'll fight hard uh, to defend uh, white Jesus. So what if that person still came back and they said, well, you know. Uh, Christianity and the good book and our faith, that's the only thing that has sustained us. That's what kept us from being a broken people during slavery, and that's how we were able to survive. We we put our faith in, in the good book and, uh, you know, Jesus and Christianity. That's what's got us through. 
I would say I definitely agree with that. I understand where you're coming from. You had to construct mountains of hope in order to allay your predicament. Uh, As an enslaved person where there was no hope, it was very appealing to you to receive information that told you that one day all of this would be over with if you believed in this person in the name of Jesus the Christ. So that's very appealing to you. So I can I, I definitely agree with that. I, I can understand why they would say that. So, but you grow. You don't stay on the plantation psychologically. You grow and you move on, and you recognize that that information that you received was intended for a time, place, and period of your life. And now that you are no longer physically enshackled and have a longer leash, so to speak, and more mobility, uh, physical mobility, it is time now that you shift your paradigm into more fruitful and productive uh, doctrine that can empower you more than uh, to, a, to to a greater degree than what Christianity has. These you recognize them as fairy tales. Jesus is has been the last or is the last myth standing, you know. So we're no longer in civil rights. We're no longer enslaved. But to keep that hope of one day uh, being in paradise, of, of um, you know, of, of waiting on the Lord and leaning on the Lord, that's a slave mentality that you have to recognize and you have to grow from that. You have to build on your experiences. We don't stay there. We don't waddle in our experiences. We don't brag about our gift of longanimity. We move and we grow. And we recognize that the only constant in this universe is change. Author Jeremiah Kamara, the website holylockdown.com context of white supremacy. Justice, if you have some questions you would like to ask Mr. Kamara, your line is open. On one of your web pages, God Cannot Lie, what does that mean and how did you come up with that title? <laughs> well, first of all, let me say that um, the website um, is under construction uh and, and I say that because there are many things that are going to be added on this. In fact, if you check back to this, you know, I want to just implore our listeners to check back in about a week because there will be a lot added. Uh, the slave sermons, uh, many movie episodes that I have, um, are not have not propagated on the page yet. But if you go to YouTube and you put Jeremiah Kamari in and then slave sermons or maybe even slave sermons, there are 16 episodes that I think are, are, are worth watching that will be uh, propagated on, on the website. But um, that, that particular blog of God Cannot Lie, you know, we hear that all the time uh, amongst Christians. And um, I never really understood that uh, because when you look at the Bible, um, if you read it in its entirety, um, there's rape, there's murder. There's the condoning of slavery. Uh, there's plagues put on people. There are there's cannibalism. 
it's just one of the bloodiest books that you can ever read. Um, you know, all you have to do is sit down and and, and, and look at that. So if, if God is capable of orchestrating all of these atrocious acts toward he, the humanity that he allegedly created, then he's also quite capable of lying, which would be a misdemeanor when compared to some of the other uh, behavior that this biblical God uh, seems to uh, enjoy partaking in. So I don't see that as something, as a lie, to be something um, that is impossible for the God of the Bible to do when, in fact, uh, he can, you know, burn villages and, and, and order the destruction of, of, of women and children and, you know, stand by these things. Uh, so why would lying, you know, be such a uh, an impossibility? And I, I just never understood that. So I just, you know, posted just a little mini blog on that subject. How is your videos and black people acting crazy in a church constructive in working against racism, white supremacy? How are my videos? Repeat that one more time so I can get the context of your question, please. How is your videos and black people acting crazy in a church constructive in working against racism, white supremacy? Well, I don't think that, you know, acting crazy in a church is um, act, is is doing anything you know, constructive against white supremacy, I think you're playing into their hands. You know, the Bible and the church, religion, Christianity, etc., are diversions to keep you off of serious matters. You know, I have a chapter in my book, uh, The New Doubting Thomas, that deals with uh, the inordinate amount of time that black people spend in church. You know, our studies indicate that our churches are twice as long, twice as loud, uh, we have twice as many members, you know, per capita. And um, so it, it's playing right into the supremacist hands because as long as you're focusing on the Bible and putting your hope in, 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 in uh, a man that resembles your oppressor or one that has no historical value, no historical presence whatsoever, then you're basically just, like a mouse on a spinning wheel. You're doing a lot of moving. You're doing a lot of shouting. You're doing a lot of praising, but you're not going anywhere. We are more as dependent on our oppressor today as we were in slavery. In fact, you have more black men in prison than we had on the plantation. So we think that we're going forward. You think that you're going forward, but then you look at our HBCUs. How is it that the churches are prospering, but the HBUs, HBCUs are suffering? That shows you right there our misplaced priorities. So, you know, if you are concerned about your people, then you will put your money where it counts. If we, in fact, told uh, black people in church, if blacks were told that um, the money was going towards uh, empowering the black community, creating goods and services. You wouldn't get a dime out of them. But if you told them that God, that the money is for God, 
then they're going to pay you. Your money will come in droves. That can that gold plate will be passed around multiple times. If you told them that it was to empower their neighborhoods, they would want to know who's in control of it. They would remind you of the money. What happened to my money? Where is it? Who has it? But somehow the church has convinced us that God, who we claim is responsible for creating oceans that are 50 to 60,000 feet deep, creating mountains under the oceans that are higher than the highest mountains on earth, creating a sun, which is which is 99.8% of the entire mass of the universe, creating a world which is 25,000 miles in circumference. When you say that this God is responsible for all of these things and created these things prior to money, how then does God need some filthy Federal Reserve notes in order to continue his existence? We have been brainwashed, we have been hoodwinked, and it has impoverished the black community not only uh, in terms of a a, a monetary uh, value, but it's also impoverished us psychologically too. It has created a greater debt psychologically than a monetary uh, debt. When people sneeze, why do you think people say, bless you? I don't think people know why they say, bless you. They've heard their mother do it. They've heard their aunt do it, their grandmother do it. They've heard people on the train, on the bus do it. I don't think we know why. Maybe we can Google that and find out. <laughs> okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Context of white supremacy. Um, Mr. Kamara, I'm just I'm curious as to how someone, you know, comes to, particularly a black person, gets to where they write a book like this. Um, did you did you grow up in the church? Um, what was your relationship uh, with religion growing up? Well, I think my relationship was similar to most black people. Um, but I will say that my mother was a church goer, but she was not very uh, strict in terms of making my siblings and I go to church. Um, after I graduated from high school, I moved to Cleveland, and I started to approach uh, religion with more diligence on my own volition. Um, But uh, I, like most people, were told that uh, you seek Jesus and all of your answers, uh, all of your questions in life will be answered. And so... um, I think that uh, my interest in religion was, was pretty much the same. I, I sought Jesus as the answer. I sought the, the so-called word of God uh, because this is what I was told to do. But I cannot say that my parents were um, very avid uh, churchgoers. I, we did attend church uh, quite often, but uh, it wasn't mandatory every Sunday. Uh, but... Um, as I got into things as a teenager and had setbacks and, you know, trials and tribulations, like most teenagers are going to go through. Um, Of course, being in an environment mainly consisting of black people and hearing that whispered in your ear 
uh, more so than uh, other groups, uh, I felt somewhat obligated to seek uh, the Bible and Christianity. And um, I, I searched and, 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 you know, became very uh, close with, with several ministers and visited churches and had aspirations of becoming a minister. So I've, I've been there, and um, I've uh, been in Pentecostal or, or, or holiness and, and Baptist and Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah Witnesses. I've, I've gone door to door. I was in holiness studying, you know, Herbert Armstrong and, you know, people like that. So I was entrenched uh, in the church. So um, I just probably would say that um, I ask maybe more questions uh, than the average person, which kind of led me to, you know, uh, deviate uh, from the course that I was on and ultimately uh, write a book, write two books, actually. Hmm. Wow. Um, the newest of those books, The New Doubting Thomas, The Bible, mm-hmm. Black Folks, and Blind Belief. Uh, you can get that, uh, visit the website, HolyLockdown.com. Uh, if you're listening right here at Blog Talk Radio, you can just click uh, his name and it'll take you right to the website. Uh, fantastic products and the blog is is outstanding. Um, you also you talk about a concept uh, imprinting. Can you talk about that and how that relates to how uh, Black people are uh, programmed with Christianity? Uh, sure. Well, there was a process, I, you know, back in, um, I think it was the 40 uh, there was an experiment that was done. Uh, this experiment was Conrad Lorenz. And what he did was he he divided two groups of geese eggs, and uh, he placed and uh, when they hatched, when one one of the group uh, eggs hatched, he placed the natural mother. They followed their much uh, their mother's natural uh, behavior in the wild. And, uh, not present uh, with their mother, absent from their mother, uh, were hatched. But then they were exposed to Conrad Lorenz. And so they began to court him. They began to identify him as their mother. They began following him out in the water and looking at him as a parental figure. And so this process is called imprinting. And so this is what has basically happened to black people after and during our enslavement period, irrespective of our belief system that was brought over uh, from Africa or many people that were enslaved here in this country were also indigenous to America. Our uh, system of belief, whether it be, uh, you know, animism or Islam or any other traditional belief system, was kicked to the side, and we were presented 
with a goose, so to speak, in the form of Jesus. And after 1830, when most black people were native-born, that was the first image that we saw. And so we followed Jesus because this is the only Savior that we had been introduced to. You know, the process of converting black people reached its height in about 1760. And then by 1830, most blacks, as I said, were native-born. And so uh, the process was incomplete. So we followed Jesus, and we looked to Jesus as our paternal Savior, and we've been following him ever since without realizing that Jesus is not our natural father. It is not our natural uh, inclination to follow and 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 an oppressor created deity uh to the water and the church and the trees and to any avenue that it may lead you. It is unnatural and as I stated we have been inculcated with this doctrine, with this belief system, with this ideology and it has crippled us psychologically, it has disarmed us, it has disempowered us. It has made us dependent upon the supernatural. It has created uh, the greatest diversion that the world has ever known. And, um, you know, this is why I created Slave Sermons. Because when you go back and look at our history in this country, we have a visual history of our perceptions being altered. Through through, through, through 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 those means Our perceptions Our imaginations Our paradigm Our models and methodologies That form the basis of our beliefs Were mainly shaped Through visual means Because most of us Could not read Or write So we looked at pictures We looked at imagery We were told stories And created pictures in our minds And so I created slave sermons because if visual uh, imprinting was the means by which we were altered psychologically, then it's going to take visual means to re-alter our perceptions. And so I wanted to give something that someone could see, we can look at. You know, we we can actually... uh, um, Reduce the ubiquitous they They bring the drugs over They uh, 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 fly the planes over They do this and they do that to us Well, no longer do we have to do that You can look at slave servants and see the preacher And call him by name And add him to the list Of those people who are amongst our greatest contributors To our psychological demise Wow. Um, I guess for listeners, I included, for people who are listening at Blog Talk Radio, uh, I have linked one of the slave sermons in the description. Uh, It's got the the image of uh, Good Times uh, is the still image. Uh, You can go to his YouTube page and uh, you can check out all of the slave sermons. Can you uh, give us a little bit more uh, detail about uh, what your purpose in creating these 
these films is? Yeah, sure. You know, um, you, it's one thing to talk about it. You know, I've done several lectures um, around the country. It's another thing to write about it. Unfortunately, many of our people, sadly to say, do not and have not developed at this point an appreciation uh, for the written word, with the exception of the Bible. And there are many people who will go to church and actually hold their preacher up in esteem and support the the sermonic rhetoric that he espouses every Sunday and will look at you like you are crazy when you begin to criticize that same preacher that is that they have endeared themselves with, that they hold in such esteem, that they have such a deference for. And so one of the problems with that is that something things that are very close to you are often the most difficult things to actually see. It's just like if you have a piece of paper and you hold it in front of your face, you really can't see the words until you, you know, pull it back from your face. And so we have to have an out-of-church experience to actually uh, see what's, you know, the what, what the rhetoric that is spewing from the pulpit in these various churches. So I wanted people to actually see, because I've had women, you know, call me up and say, wow, I never looked at it like that. That is my preacher, <laughs> you know, and I didn't at the time – I was there, I didn't realize that what he was saying was detrimental to me. I didn't realize that um, that that this was contributing to my enslavement, that this was discouraging me from being a sovereign, free, and liberated individual. And the reason is, is because they were so engaged in the emotionality of what the preacher was saying. Preachers are masters. You know, I had an opportunity to take several classes at uh, Interdenominational Theological College here in Atlanta, and I w- it was one of the best things that I decided to do because I got a firsthand uh, teaching on some of the tricks and techniques and tactics that are used uh, in the church by preachers because I was in class with future seminarians. And so I know that these preachers play games. I know that they're taught to preach to the itching ear. In other words, don't tell people what they need to hear. Tell them what they want to hear. I know how they are masters at creating a problem and putting us in the clouds. Uh, One specific episode is episode number seven. Uh, When you go there, you'll see it's called Storm Chasers. Well, preachers deliberately uh, put us in the cloud, like episode 7, episode 12, in order to rescue us. So they cannot save you unless they first uh, put you in a position to be rescued. They put you in the clouds because it then gives the preacher an opportunity to rescue you. And so there are a lot of techniques and tactics uh, that are used by preachers that are unsuspecting 
uh, to the general peri- uh, 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 public and, 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 and the parishioners. And so slave sermons gives them an opportunity to see things in a perspective they that they ordinarily wouldn't have. And so I thought it was necessary to give visual uh, examples. It's one thing, like I said, to talk about it, to, to lecture on it, another thing to write about it. It's entirely uh, an entirely different experience to actually see what's going on in the church. Context of white supremacy. Um, I know in some of these slave sermons videos, you talk about, and I think this is all related to uh, how Christianity cultivates uh, amongst black people uh, a mentality of dependency, uh, particularly dependency on supernatural, on the supernatural. And you talk about how uh, Christianity uses a lot of uh, pastoral language uh, preacher rhetoric. Can you break down some other elements of what this preacher rhetoric is and how it works? Well, there are certain there's certain language, and they all uh oh, I think uh Mr. Kamara, are you still with us? Oh, we lost Mr. Kamara. His line dropped out. Hopefully he will bring us right back. Um, thank you all for hanging in. Oh, I see him. Uh, Mr. Kamara, are you with us? Yes, sir. I think we got disconnected okay. there. Yes, sir. We, yeah. get, we got you. Okay. Uh, just to continue on with that question, um, there is a lot of language that is basically uh, similar to the language that we've heard, you know, since we were five years old. We, we we're basically familiar with you know the same rhetoric. He's he'll be there. Uh, he's a doctor uh, in the sick room, a lawyer. He may not uh, in the courtroom. He may not come when you want to just wait on the law, et cetera, et cetera. It may be worded differently, but it's all uh, regurgitated, reprocessed, recycled uh, rhetoric. And preachers have to learn what. Rhetoric. What specific rhetoric can push specific emotional buttons in people? And they learn this in seminarian schools. They learn this by watching. I have several episodes that uh, uh, that, that will be coming up in the near future that that speaks directly to this. Um, but out of you know, no matter what they say. It all goes back to leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. And one of the most erroneous concepts, one of the most disheartening uh, things that we've heard in church is to walk by faith and not by sight. That has been the beginning of our mental health crisis. There are, there's no other animal that you can convince to walk by faith and not by sight. All animals have their ears perked, have their tails up, have their eyes open for tricks, for danger, for uh, 
things that will uh, take their, uh, you know, that will that will um, uh, have an effect on their instincts and their curiosity and their uh, intuition. Well, the human animal is that way also. We are equipped with senses and intuitions and instincts that protect us and that we need in order to uh, maintain our humanity. But when someone tells you to walk by faith and not by sight, that is one of the biggest tricks that we've ever been told, you know, because it just goes against human nature to do that. But we don't recognize that because we are so, in, we are so, we, we, you know, we've been uh, made conditioned to be afraid. And so uh, if I don't do this, something terrible is going to happen. If I don't go to church, something terrible is going to happen. If I don't believe in the Bible, something terrible is going to happen. And not to proselytize or to convert, but I would suggest that you take that step. Nothing will happen. In fact, you will be liberated. You will be empowered because you are holding on to something that is not backed by anything in the first place. It's just like the dollar bill. The dollar bill is not backed by anything. It's an instrument of debt. Jesus is not backed by anything. There is no historical evidence. There is nothing we can point to. No one has wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. There has been no exodus. No seas have been parted. In fact, their main scholars in Tel Aviv who teach at the Hebrew uh, universities there, uh, in the likes of uh, Israel Finkelstein and Lawrence Schiffman had have even admitted that the cities that Joshua and David and Saul allegedly conquered never even existed. So if you take that first step toward truth and uh, and recognize that the Bible is not an authentic document but a retelling of pre-existing myths and legends you will, in fact, become liberated. You will become liberated, you know, on days like today, Gus, you know, on Christmas, where you don't, you didn't have to be part of that crowd, that traffic, that desperation to run and, and get a last-minute present. You wouldn't have to look like a person who needs their head examined by having a tree positioned up on top of their car, a tree which belongs in the forest, which belongs in the woods, which belongs where it actually is, but to take that and chop it and put it on your car is insanity, but it is very difficult to see that insanity when you are very close to it. You have to step back and re- be contemplative and pensive and analytical and see the fallacious nature of what you're involved in. Unless you step back from that, you'll never see it. You have to be objective rather than subjective. Context of white supremacy. Uh, Justice, if you have some questions you would like to ask our guest, Mr. Jeremiah Kamara, uh, please feel free. Do you think Jesus was a real person? If so, what is your proof? And do you think Jesus is a white person or a black person? Well, uh, based on pretty much 
everything that I have uh, been in support of during this conversation, I think we all can surmise that I uh, do not think that Jesus was actually a person, a historical person. There is nothing to nothing historical that we can point to. As a matter of fact, you know, and you'll probably uh, this will probably come up in the next uh, segment of your of your show. There have been many, you know, um, the typical answer, uh, uh, the typical number of saviors that preceded Jesus is 16. I've come up with more than that. I've had around 22, 23 saviors that had the same story. A mother named Mary, or a derivative of the word Mary, died on the cross, called themselves the light of the world, ascended to heaven, was born of a virgin, et cetera, et cetera, born on, on December 25th. Uh, you have to understand that the Old Testament is is basically Jewish propaganda. If you look at the Jewish nomadic experience, they were nomadic people who were being kicked off of every piece of land that they set foot on. And so they needed to come up with a a means to find a homeland. So they conjured up a mean-spirited God in, a, in, 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 in classic propagandist fashion that would send a clear signal to all those who would continue to evict them that if you strike your hand against us, our God will strike you down. If you rise up against us, our God will smolt you. Our God will destroy you. And then they conjured up in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, how God promised them a homeland, how God promised Abraham a homeland. Abraham is basically just a carbon copy of the Indian patriarch Brahma. In fact, if you look at the anagrams, the, the spelling is, is nearly the same. They have very similar stories, which I expound on in my book. So if I was to worship Jesus, then I would have to worship the the, uh, the two dozen or so more that preceded him, dating back to two thousands of years. So it's not a matter of me thinking or believing that Jesus. I know for a fact that Jesus. There was never a man named Jesus who walked the face of the earth. The evidence is irrefutable. The documentation to support that is insurmountable. It is a a a a a subject that is really non-debatable, and uh, for those who otherwise would continue to cling to a mythological story of a Jesus, despite the overwhelming evidence to the contrary, is basically motivated by fear. You have to understand that many of us go to church because we are afraid not to go to church, but at some point in time, we have to come. Uh, have to move beyond that threshold of apprehensiveness and face the truth because these fairy tales, uh, there's another uh, video that I created called Fairy Tales on Fire. These fairy tales are actually going to set the world on fire. You have leaders uh, around the world with itchy fingers 
that are using their biblical doctrines and their my God's better than your God pissing contest, they're using these as excuses to bomb, to uh, incite wars, to enslave humanity. What's going on in Israel and Palestine has been going on for so long, and they are using their doctrine, their biblical, their erroneous doctrines to support this. And we all are affected by this, uh, this, uh, this, this toxic rhetoric, this toxic, these toxic belief systems that put all of humanity uh, in danger, that are threatening to annihilate the entire human race based off of the uh, erroneous assumptions of what your God allegedly said. And we are putting in je- the world in jeopardy uh, uh, with mythology. And we have to, you know, change our paradigm. We have to become aware of, of what we're doing as as a species. And um, is he is is Jesus? Uh, well, do you think that Jesus is white or black? Well, I think I've answered that. <laughs> He's neither. <laughs> oh, okay. What are some things black people can do to help replace white supremacy with justice? You said to help embrace white supremacy with justice? What are some things black people can do to help replace white supremacy with justice? Well, I think the main thing that we can do is to reduce our dependency on the establishment. That's one of the main things that you can do. You know, cut the television off, read more. Try to be more fuel efficient. Uh, you know, get smaller cars. Uh, you know, so you won't have to be dependent on these big oil guys. Stop taking out loans every five minutes. You know, student loans. Because you have to remember, I'm not against education, but before you spend all of these thousands of dollars, first understand that these are profit-driven institutions. Uh, quit, you know, all these loans and refining and big car loans and living above your means. Reduce the dependency that you have on the establishment. That is one of the greatest things that you can do. One of the greatest moves that we have ever made as a people that is so underrated and that flies so far under the radar that our leaders never seem to have learned from it. And whenever we are faced with a crisis, we continue to fail to revisit this very Wonderful, unique, and powerful strategy, and I'm speaking of the Montgomery bus boycott. We have to be cognizant of where we put our dollars. If you have a complaint, don't spend your money there. You know, they we don't necessarily have to be uh, um, geniuses when it comes to economics because they put all of this jargon uh, in front of us and, and all these fancy uh, all this fancy bank terminology that kind of puts a, a, a distaste in our mouth toward money. But you don't have to be 
uh, a scientist, an economic scientist or an economics major, in order to be effective economically. You just have to be cognizant of where you put your money. Don't uh, continue to enslave yourself with all of the loans that you take out. If you cannot buy it with cash, if you can wait, by all means wait until you can't afford it with cash instead of taking out loans because this establishment has two big fangs. And one of those fangs has taxes on it and the other fang has in, has interest. And that's how they suck the blood of our people. But we allow them to suck our blood because we live above our means. We buy expensive cars because it's not very uh, important how we're doing financially as it is how we're perceived financially. You know, a lot of people live for that perception. They are trying to elicit or solicit a response from you. Wow, this is a pretty car. Wow, this is a big house. Wow, those are nice clothes. And this is what we live for. And it has enslaved us. And this all goes back to what Joyce O'Leary has said in her book, you know, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, about, uh, you know, how, you know, the slaves were trying to impress one another. Oh, I'm in the big house while you're still out there in the field. But we're not impressing anyone. When we see someone who has a lot of material, when we see someone who has a lot of money, or someone that we know that has a lot of money, we cannot envy them. The reason is is because we do not, have enough information about that person to know how they are or what kind of person that they are in character. We only know what they have. But if you are defined by what you have, then it makes you no different than the oppressor who enslaves you. So we cannot continue to live like that. So I would say, uh, Justice, by all means, try every way that you can to reduce the dependency that you have on the establishment. Once you become, uh, once you grow into consciousness, you have to cut the TV off to a large degree because you can take one step in consciousness and that television will put you two steps uh, in the other direction because whoever controls the images controls the definitions of these images so they can tell us what beautiful is. They can tell us what uh, what the latest trend is. We can watch things like American Idol without even realizing that all it is is a glorified Apollo. We can watch things like So You Think You Can Dance, which basically, uh, you know, the average, you know, person on the street, the average black person in the community can dance and, you know, has a person in their household who can sing. And we get tricked. These are diversions. Sports is another diversion. As much as I love sports and as much as I, you know, my testosterone is just, you know, re- reaches another level when I, when I watch it, when I was watching it, we have to realize that this is nothing but a great diversion to keep us preoccupied with things that don't matter. We don't own the sports teams, but black people are still serving their original purpose and that is making money for other people by way of their body. So we're no longer breeding slaves, we're breeding athletes. The plantation has now become the football field. So we have to be conscious of these things and reduce our dependency. That's how we can get our 
uh, enslaver off of our backs. Go ahead, Jeff. Context of white supremacy. <clears throat> I'm going to go uh, get ready to hit the phone lines. A lot of people called in. Uh, if you have a question you'd like to ask, uh, the number is 347 215 For folks who may not have been listening to the cows for a long period of time, uh, Dr. DeGru, um, author of Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome. She's been a guest on this program two times. You can go back in the archives and check out some of her work. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, you have a blog post <clears throat> where you talk about uh, the uh, tragedy with uh, Bishop Eddie Long, also uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And you wrote down uh, this is directly from your blog uh, Black men heavily involved in the church and possessing a great love for Jesus, are subjecting themselves to an effeminizing element of society. Jesus is often presented as a tender, sweet man in a long robe who's forgiving and all-inclusive. Ultimately, the underlying message in the black church is to lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. As a heterosexual man, it is challenging to commit to the idea of placing oneself in the arms of another man, even if that man is a perceived savior. Sometimes a man must go into the eye of the storm to solve his problems. Encouraging black men to lay their burdens in the lap of Jesus has offered black men an escape from the reality of their situations. Seeking comfort, shelter, and protection from a mythological figure be seen as a turnoff for strong men with lofty aspirations. Uh, can you elaborate on how uh, the Christian church can effeminize black males? Well, you know, Gus, when, when we visit churches, we often see, you know, things that are very partial to el the elderly people and women. You know, we see the long, pretty gowns of the choir. The choir is usually singing songs in a minor key for all those musicians out there. We know about minor keys. They're very sad and, and somber. Um, and we see the nice floral arrangements. And then the preacher is constantly talking about overcoming something through trusting and through leaning on Jesus and through trusting in God, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very appealing for women, especially black women, who are, you know, 70% of our, uh, our, our parents are doing, you know, single mothers, uh, 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 single-parent homes, you know, 70% of our homes are headed by women. So this is appealing to them because they don't have a physical man there, so they need some type of man, and often it becomes, it becomes you know, takes the form of the preacher or it takes the form of Jesus. You've had, you know, women say, I don't need a man. All I have, you know, all I need is Jesus. I mean, this is very common amongst churchgoers. This speaks directly 
to the mental health crisis that we are experiencing. And so as far as the, the elderly, like I said, you know, we leave grandma in her grace. I do not try to, to change them. You know, remember now, they fed us pork because they loved us. They wanted to see us full because that was the information that they had at the time. But once you get information where you realize that pork is detrimental, it's full of cholesterol, will clog your arteries, et cetera, et cetera, then you stop eating it. And the pork can be in the form of the preacher rhetoric. It can be in the form of the of a, of a natural of a, a pig. Anything that represents poison, you stay away from. So you have to move. You have to grow. You, you know, if the if 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 the goal of the church is to make us better, then when do we graduate? When do we get our cap and gown? You're not better after 65, 70 years. There's no empirical evidence that you can point to. You're still paying the same prices at the pump as everyone else. You still experience the same pain. Your bills have not lessened. You are just as much enslaved to the uh, to the establishment as the average person or the non-believer or the atheist, etc., so, you know, it's an effeminizing element because basically what we have to realize is, is that through years of being trained and conditioned to be afraid, you know, afraid of getting caught running away, afraid of looking the slave master in the eye, afraid of getting caught reading, afraid of getting, you know, having your family members sold, it has cre- over time it has created a spirit of apprehensiveness. This apprehensiveness, largely rooted in fear, has created created the perfect storm for religiousness, which requires that someone else gets behind the wheel of our lives and does the driving for us. It requires us to depend upon a third party, And this apprehension plays out in our inclinations to seek comfort, to seek security, to seek protection. And the greatest levels of comfort, security, and protection come from the church. And so this is is a a very feminine uh, approach to life. You know, I'm a man. I don't I have a family to protect. I can't seek comfort. I can't lean. I have to go out there and make it happen. You know, if someone if an intruder comes in my house, I can't pray about that. I have to correct that through proactive means. And I just think that the church with all of this sweet, tender rhetoric has effeminized the black man. And, you know, preachers know that. But they are not trained to preach what they what they know, what they think you should hear. They are trained to preach what they know you want to hear. And this is why you can go in any church across the United States and find the vast majority of women. Hmm. 
can just can you elaborate on that? Why you find the vast majority of of females? Well, like I said, um, Gus, it, it's appealing to them. Hmm. You know, they 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 want to be protected. They want to be secure. That's human nature. That's a woman's nature to want to be secure. Women will marry a man if she feels that man will offer her some security. You know, men, on the other hand, you know, generally speaking, there are always exceptions, but generally speaking, I'm not going to marry a woman for security. We will marry her based on how appealing she is to us. Like they say, men love who they are attracted to. Women are attracted to who they love. So it's a different dynamic with us. We are very visually driven, but a woman, you know, if her if you're paying her bills, she'll stay with you for 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 a lifetime, and that's understandable because she is weaker physically, she's smaller physically, not less, just smaller physically. So therefore, it is very natural for her to want to seek comfort and seek protection. Is being secure is a very natural response from a woman and the church is perceived as the place uh, that you go and get you know solace from it is a shelter from the storms of life now mind you many of these storms in life you have never really experienced but the preacher is so adept at making you believe that you are having all of these atrocities in life without realizing that there is not a human being of significant age who has not experienced problems and who will not continue to experience problems. It is the ebb and flow and the vicissitudes of everyday life. But it is how we react to these problems, how we respond to them, that will define us more than the problem itself. And so the church does not do anything for our cognitive ability to solve problems. It doesn't do anything for the the, the logical faculties, logical faculties of our brain. It does not do anything for the analytical frontal lobe portions of our brain doesn't teach us to use that. It teaches us to pray about the problem. And if you pray and trust in the Lord, hey, he's already sent you the key to unlock the door. The Lord has already done this for you. He's already done this for you. That does not bode well for our cognitive analytical approach to life that we need in order to solve problems. And then when you summon forth various leadership uh, to uh, address a problem in your community, the first thing that they'll do is say, let us pray. Now, when you do that, what you are doing is you are establishing a mindset that will now expect godly intervention to solve the problem that is human in nature. It will take human work human sacrifice, human intelligence, human willpower in order to solve this problem. And it is, you know, no wonder that we are the most, black people are the most committed to the idea of godly intervention uh, to solve their problems. 
And we, we're going to have to take another approach. We're going to have to recognize that we're going to have to lean on each other. I've got another slave sermon episode that I hope does an effective job at illustrating that point. Wow. Uh, again, uh, our guest uh, for today's program, uh, Mr. Jeremiah Kamara. Uh, please visit the website, holylockdown.com. Uh, again, holylockdown.com. You can, if you're listening at Blog Talk Radio, you can just click his name and it will take you right to uh, the website. Uh, you can pick up a copy of the book, uh, the brand new book, The New Doubting Thomas, The Bible, Black Folks, and Blind Belief. Man, Jeremiah Kamara. And I got the uh, the YouTube page. Uh, it's linked. Uh, you can check out one of the videos right here in the description. And uh, if you want to visit his YouTube page, it is Kamara714 at YouTube. Kamara, C-A-M-A-R-A, 714. And uh, you can... Look at all of the videos, and hopefully you'll get to see the brand new slave sermons uh, coming up soon. Uh, is it acceptable if we take a, a few calls, Mr. Kamara? Uh, no question. And I, I also want to just uh, remind people that uh, when they go to the website, that it is uh, wholly incomplete. And I would just want to encourage them to please revisit it in about a week. Uh, it's going to have a lot of nice uh, features that have not been added uh, a lot more blogs. Uh, you will have a, uh, icons of all of the, you know, slave sermons, so you can really stay on that page and, you know, really uh, uh, peruse the website to a greater degree than is uh, available for you now. But there are still some interesting things on the site now, but I just want you, you know, to encourage you to be patient, that uh, to revisit it in about a week, and it, it's going to, you know, have a lot more to offer. But, sure, I, I definitely uh, welcome uh, phone calls at this time. Okay. Holylockdown.com. A uh, person who called in last four digits, 5301. 5301. Did you have a question for Mr. Kamara? Yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, good evening, um, Mr. Kamara, and thank you for sharing. Uh, Good evening, uh, Gus and Justice as well. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed yesterday's program with the children. Wanted you to know that as well. My daughter's angry she didn't get the call in. Now, uh, about uh, today, today is what's called Christmas. There's a program on Blog Talk Radio called The History of Christmas in America earlier today. So I was listening to it, and the individual appeared to be a pastor, or what I would call a sermonic, sermonic strategist. And he was going on and on and on about the history of Christmas in America. So I called up, and I said to him, and I, I guess his purpose was, he was talking about Christian, uh, Christmas as it's celebrated as a pagan holiday. So I called up and I said to him, uh, in the spirit of, what you believe as Jesus Christ having been an individual who gave his life and was an individual whose ministry was about love, don't you think that it would be, and you're talking about the history of Christmas, don't you think that it would be constructive to acknowledge that 59 years ago, on Christmas Day of 1951, Harry T. Moore and Harry, Harriet V. Moore were 
both killed in their house in Titusville, Florida. And he was an individual who was a Christian who preceded the civil rights movement and was an individual that actively was engaged in many of the things that you talk about Christ would have wanted you to do. And yet and still, this individual was spending all this time talking about all this other stuff. So when I asked him that, he immediately began began to get very upset. He started talking to me about um, Martin Luther King and and all this other stuff and Rosa Parks. And I said, sir, none of those have anything to do with what I'm talking about. You said you're talking about the history of Christmas in America. This is an incident that happened in America on a Christmas day, and it happened to an individual who was of the Christian faith. Don't you think that it's constructive that we have a conversation about that as well? And he immediately got very upset. So one of the things I'd like to ask you is, how do you deal with individuals that respond in that sort of way that don't want to have any dialogue about any other thing except their doctrine? Well, you know, of course, uh, thanks for your call. I I appreciate you calling in. And um, I'll just try to address that by stating that uh, you're going to run into that all the time. And the way that I deal with it is to make sure that I use, I start from the right premise. A lot of times when we find ourselves in arguments, we have kinks in our armor because we start from the wrong premise. So if you take things down and dissect them and break them down to the, you know, the the lowest denominator that they, you know, the, 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 to the greatest degree that they can be broken down, you really don't leave people who are espousing erroneous assumptions a lot of wiggle room so you you just use the right premise but i would also say uh exercise patience uh let's not become argumentative uh which i've had found myself be guilty of when i first started you know into uh uh this uh awakening period it's natural you want to defend yourself but I would say to be as humble as possible and just state the facts, and whatever facts that you state, use a premise that is so basic that they just cannot, you know, it's irrefutable. You know, one premise is, you know, I think I mentioned that earlier in the, in, in the show, how did the gold wind up in Rome? How does one of African descent wind up receiving their spirituality from books called Romans and Hebrews and Corinthians. You know, uh, please explain uh, those things. Explain to me how, uh, uh, why blacks, you know, were, was a mandate uh, by law to uh, adopt the spiritual paradigm of the dominant culture. And how blacks used, um, had to convince their their slave masters. We had to convince them that we had seen the light and heard the voice. 
in order to receive a less harsher punishment. Explain that. And then explain to us how when we were first introduced to Christianity, we showed a tremendous amount of resistance. If it was so righteous and so organic for our spirit and so natural for our souls, then why do we put up such a fight? Why do we resist it to, to, you know, to that degree, to such a degree, to where there was bloodshed? So you start from those things and see if they can answer those things. And, and you know, you, if you get caught up in a whole bunch of historical uh, dates and things like that, they can just dismiss those and they can just cling on to it. But it's very hard because you're dealing with faith. So faith, you know, like the song by Michael McDonald, he said, what a fool believes. No man can change that. I don't remember the exact word, but he said, what, what a fool believes, no man has the power to change that because it's based on faith. It's not based on logic. It's not based on common sense. It's based on faith. And if you notice, faith is the only word in the Bible that is described in dictionary terminology. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And the reason why they spent a great deal of time uh, to really explain that in Webster's, Webster style is because that they knew it would ultimately be problematic. They knew that people would challenge their brains. They knew that people would challenge them academically. And they knew that the Bible, from a historical point, would have so many holes in it, and you could poke holes in all the rhetoric. So they made sure that none of that mattered, that all that mattered was how much faith that you had. Faith is the substance of things hoped for according to the Bible, the evidence of things not seen. So uh, it's very difficult to argue, but I would just say make sure that you start from the most basic positions of your arguments and be humble, don't be argumentative, and always come in the spirit of love. Because if we do otherwise, people that know the truth, people who are enlightened, then we will justify their preconceived notions about us in the first place, that we start wars, that we are savages, that our families are broken, which is not only untrue, but, uh, you know, is, is erroneous in and of itself. So I hope I've answered your question. Thank you, uh, sir, for dialing in. Um, his dog, man. Uh, the young folks from the children yesterday, outstanding job, outstanding job. Um, person who called in last four digits, 0300, 0300, did you have a question for Mr. Kamara? Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hello, uh, Gus. Uh, Mr. Kamara, thank you for uh, coming on the show and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure. I am a, a thank you, sir. I, I always enjoy. I, I listen to your several shows, and uh, I need to get the book. And uh, I thank you for you know, sharing your time and your experience and your research with us. Uh, my question would be: My pleasure. 
Thank you. I'm, I'm definitely a proponent of truth, and uh, I appreciate what you said earlier, how um, we just have to, uh, how we're affected by, you know, religion in and of itself, and Christianity in particular. Do you see a day and time, just based on your research, I know that in some countries uh, religion is on the is on the wane. Do you see a day and time when, when, um, we may be uh, released from this madness, uh, and if so, you know what what particular event do you think would take would have to take place for us to really uh, start embracing truth as a people? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your question. Um, I do see a time because all nations fall, and the nation of Christianity, which is rooted in in, in the Vatican in Rome, that will fall. Uh, they can see the writing on the wall, and they can smell the inevitability of their collapse. It is approaching uh, at the speed of light, which can take, you know, several years, if not millenniums, even at the speed of light, considering the distance in time and space. But I do see a day that this will all end because we are now moving into the age of information. This is not only the age of skepticism, where we are skeptical about the pharmaceutical industry, we are skeptical about the insurance industry, we are skeptical about the religious industry, etc. People are asking questions because the train of information, because of the Internet and, and, and social networks, has already left the station. So there's nothing they can do to, to get this train uh, back to the to, 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 to the station. It's already left, and it's moving at the speed of light. I do see a time where it would happen. What I do think would usher that change in or expedite that change in, uh, I, I, I've always felt that there will be a preacher of significance who will open up the floodgates even more by announcing the fact that what he has been preaching or she has been preaching for all these years is in fact erroneous and begin to share uh, with them the truth and admit that they can't do it anymore. They just There will be a preacher that will say that because they are not uh, – they are exposed to the information also, and they uh, are exposed to people who have the truth that will share it with them if they don't know it already. And it will eat away at their consciousness. A lot of preachers, when they go to sleep at night, they have a compunction in their soul based off of the the false teachings that they have just administered to the people er, that you know earlier in the day and they will be compelled because of that compunction that 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 feeling of guilt to tell the truth you know admit to them that Jesus is a carbon copy that Moses and that Abraham are made up erroneous fairy tales and that Israel's uh state uh right now was brought about through um through uh you know Ill- illegal means 
They will admit that, and that will cause people to further investigate. And as we, like I mentioned earlier, to as we continue to reduce our dependency on the establishment, what I mean by the establishment, I mean the IMF, I mean the World Bank, I mean all the banksters in this country, I mean the 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 uh, the, 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 the 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 IRS. All you know the tax industry, etc. The television, Fox News, CNN, the religious institutions, and all of these institutions that perpetuate our imprisonment. We are going to have to get off the nipple of the establishment, and that is uh, one of the best ways to usher in this new change to get off the nipple, to realize, to recognize how you have been duped and hoodwinked, how you're being had on a daily basis. There are brothers right now who need to be listening to programs like this but are too engaged in a sports game that's probably on, involved, you know, engaged in a, in a great diversion that is intended to discourage us from thinking. Thinking is a neglected art nowadays. We're going to have to disengage ourselves from the gadgets and the widgets in order to uh, reach consciousness and a meditative paradigm that will support the age that is inevitably uh, going to replace this current age. All nations fall. The Roman Empire, the British Empire, the the uh, the Boule, the Illuminati, whatever label you want to put on it, the Anglo-American agenda, all of this has to fall. It will fall. But the people have to be conscious of the foot that is planted directly in our behinds and, you know, recognize that it is one in there. Like they say, the worst thing is to be a slave but think that you're free. We have not begun to see the fullness and the richness of our humanity. We have not begun to to reach our fullest potential as a species because we have had our minds manipulated. We have had our imaginations manipulated and destroyed and redirected. We are operating on a paradigm of magic. They have gotten us to think along the wrong grooves, and they are using misdirection on a daily basis. We are being bombarded and inculcated on a daily basis. And we need to wake up, change our paradigm, and reduce our dependency. Let's see. Person who dialed in last four digits zero one zero six zero one zero six. Your line is open. Hello, gentlemen. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Mr. Kamara, and Gus. Thank you for having this show. Um, it's I my read pleasure. your. Th- I read your September 2010, um, excuse me, I'm nervous, blog. Um, 
your blog post, and it was on point. Mm-hmm. Women in my family are looking for books in love with Jesus when they got men at home. It is totally out of order. And, Gus, I thank you for this show. This show has taught me more about white supremacy in the last five months than I've ever known in my whole life. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to hear it. Hope we can get more non-white people uh, on that. Uh, person who dialed in, last four digits, 0160. Did you have a question? Hi. Uh, no, actually, I just have a statement. I did go to the website, and um, I tweeted out the page. And, but it, it's telling me that I, I'm curious to know if he's on tw- Twitter because it's telling me a user does not exist and I'm trying to follow him on Twitter. And uh, I wanted to make a comment that I, I love his speaking. I sent you an email on your website and there's, there's so much that you're talking about that I've been feeling and I don't find a lot of people who think this way. And I wish I had people around me who thought like this. It's just, I feel like there's so much that we just do it like just because it's just been embedded in us to do. We do it just because we've been doing it for so long. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I want to just reiterate uh, and, and, and urge uh, the people who go to the site to be a little patient to revisit it in about a week uh, because, yes, I am on Twitter. You can also visit me on Facebook.com uh, slash Jeremiah Kamara. And uh, join me as a friend, and uh, we can stay in touch. Uh, right now, there's a lot of connectivity uh, on the website that is in in flux, and it and and uh, a lot of these strings will be tightened up, like I said, in a week or less. Uh, as a matter of fact, today uh, is a day that uh, you know we're working working to correct these pro- uh, these these, these uh, issues right here. So. Be a little patient. Yes, I am on there. And uh, if you check back in the week, I guarantee you it will definitely be up. So um, I do apologize for that uh, that having. But, yes, I am on Twitter. You can follow me there. I have several speaking engagements uh, that are coming up, and uh, I'd love to, you know, have you as a friend as well as all of our listeners and, and stay in touch. So I'd encourage you, you know, to go to Facebook uh, and uh, uh, become a friend, and we can, uh, you know, maintain a, a, a relationship that is geared toward the liberation of our minds. Uh, the website, again, holylockdown.com, holylockdown.com. Um, let's see. person who dialed in, from a uh, blocked number, uh, your line is open, and if you are listening, uh, the live stream is going out in about five minutes. So if you want to dial in, 347-215-6071. And, uh, again, we'll be right back after this program ends, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, the roundtable on Zeitgeist. And I think some of these themes will uh, pop up again. A uh, person who called in from a block number, your line is open. A uh, person who called from a block number, did you have a question? 
All right. I will assume they are just listening. Uh, person who called in last four digits, 1320. 1320, did you have a question? Yes. I wanted to know um, your take on religion with regards to mental slavery. Because a lot of what I heard is um, how you feel with regards to religion, the effects that it has on our community, and our general self-awareness. And I just want to know your take on religion as it relates to, um, I would say, mental and spiritual slavery. Okay, thanks for your for your for your call, um, your question. Well. As I as I had stated earlier, I believe that um, religion has done more to cripple us psychologically than any other institution, because the, the mental slavery uh, is one aspect. It's you know it's taught us to be dependent, loss of time, loss of money, loss of logic. Uh, and actually crippled our perception. You know, one comes into our community to see all the churches, but then see all the blight, see all the despondency, see all the deprivation that exists within our communities. It is perplexing, and it's bewildering. Um, like I stated earlier, the, the 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 notion to walk by faith and not by sight is the beginning of our mental health crisis. If they can convince you of that, then everything else is easy. Uh, the Bible has conditioned us to to actually think that black people are homeless. When it promises Abraham a homeland in chapter Genesis 12, verses 1 and 3, when God allegedly promises Abraham a homeland, black people need to sit back and say, hey, wait a minute, how does that apply to me? We've never been homeless. So to to believe that you can circle a building seven times and it falls down in Jericho, to believe that you can look back, a woman look back and turn into a pillar of salt, to believe that God sent two bears to destroy 42 children because they teased Elijah's bald head, to believe that Joshua made the sun stand still, to believe that a man parted a sea um, is erroneous in itself. That is a mental health crisis in and of itself, to believe that the world is only you know, 2,000 years old according to the Bible and there's evidence to support, you know, all serious scientists dated at four to four, four, four and a half to five billion years old. To believe that there was actually an exodus out of Egypt, when in fact there's not in their history. There was no, there were not a people called Hebrew in 1300 BC, allegedly the period of the Great Exodus, and there has pyramids are not mentioned in the Bible at all, which is inescapable. There's no way that you can be enslaved in Egypt and the word pyramid never exists, never come up in the Bible, or Sphinx. You know, to to believe that a man ascended to heaven uh, in a chariot of fire, you know, to believe that a man wrestled 
Jacob wrestled with an angel all night and then his name changed to Israel. Or two people or, or a man loaded two of every species in, including Omeba, including protozoa that you cannot see with the naked eye. He unlo- he loaded two of everything upon an ark, predator and prey side by side. To believe these things in and of itself is a mental health crisis. That is a mental health crisis to get the human brain to accept those things that are as far removed from common sense and logic as you can possibly be is a mental health crisis. To contribute financially to an institution of religion more than you do your institutions of education is a mental health crisis. To accept that a savior with no historical evidence whatsoever is going to one day escort you to a place uh, in the clouds where you can see your grandmother and see your grandfather and your ancestors is a mental health crisis. So there is no real distinction between Christianity and 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 uh you know poor mental health they're one and the same wow uh we are at the 2 hour mark um we had quite a few people that dialed in uh but i want to be respectful of your time if uh you have the extra time i guess if you want to stay to field a few more calls no worries if you have to go that's no worries either um mr kamar it's really your call yeah, I can I can feel a, a few more calls. Okay, okay. Uh, to make it easy on me, since there's quite a few of you that called in, everybody that called in, press one if you have a question. That way, I know if there are people who are just listening. No worries. If you actually have a question, press one, and that way I can go hit the lines that way. So I'll give you all a second. Press one and uh, see if we can find out. Okay, uh, person at zero one six zero, zero one six zero. Did you have a question? I'm curious to know uh, where. What do you think happens when we do die? I do think that is ridiculous that we think it's, it's, it's too far fetched that we say, "Oh, they're up in heaven looking down on us." It's, I mean, so they're looking at us when we're when we're engaged in sex with other people and stuff. It just doesn't make sense to me. What do you think happens to us? Well, um, you know, let me just start by uh, using the three most underused words in consecutive order, which I think are the three most beautiful words that we can string together in a sentence. I don't know. And I do know this, that we're energy. Energy cannot be destroyed. Now, you can it's like you have money in a bank account. You can transfer that money from one account to the other, but it does not diminish the amount that you have. We are simply transferring that energy from this physical experience that we have now to another form. Now, what happens 
how we will perceive that, again, I am very proud and honored to say I don't know. Um, someone mailed a question in. Their question is, uh, do you think there's a difference, uh, the black people who say, who insist, uh, there's some non-white people and white people as well who insist that Jesus was white and that it is healthier if black people have a black image of Jesus. Can you kind of share your thoughts on that? Well, I don't think it's healthy to dip him in, in vanilla, chocolate, caramel, or you know any other flavor. I think it's I think uh, it's, it's it's more it's advantageous to us to tell the truth that he was a non historical figure, never existed in the first place. So I mean, we did that. We made him black, you know, for psychological reasons. I can understand why people like Kane Hope Felder, who essentially created one of the first books on uh, um, you know ethnic versions of the Bible. And included black characters I can understand where that came from It was A classic ego defense Mechanism and we needed it uh, Probably at the time In order to You know um, Help appease us So to speak Until we were able to receive uh, 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 More clarity On the subject Of Jesus' existence Or non-existence so I guess it served a purpose, but now that we know, uh, then it doesn't serve a purpose to paint him any other color except the color that he should be, and that's invisible. Wow. Uh, the address again, holylockdown.com. Again, since it's a lot of you, if you could press one, if you have a question, that would help me a lot. So I don't have to go through all of the lines. Just press one if you have a question, and uh, I can go to that line. If nobody presses one, I will assume you all do not have questions, and you're just listening. Justice, did you have any questions before we uh, get ready to wrap things up? Yes, I have one more. I am glad you came on the couch. What information here have you shared that you that you hope will help non-white people Replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible. <laughs> well, thanks for your question, Justice. Uh, glad to be on the show, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you found something about value uh, in the show. I cannot stress enough, you know, our the importance of just reducing our dependency on the establishment. You know, I just can't stress that enough. And as uh, you know, we can revisit this. I've mentioned the ways that we can do that. You know, I'm sure, Gus, that you'll have a link where people can, you know, uh, listen to it again. Uh, but uh, that's the key because we're not going to overthrow these people because we don't even know who they are. We don't know. You know, it's just like KRS once said, you know, the president and, you know, people in Congress, they're just the manager of Burger King. So we can complain about our burgers being cold. But uh, we're never going to see the people who actually own the franchise, who are actually in charge, who are pulling the buttons, who are pulling the strings, who have selected President Obama and all the other presidents that have come before him. The greatest thing that we can do to usher in the age of enlightenment is to reduce our dependency on the establishment, the oppressor, 
See, the oppressor's job is to oppress us. So one of the biggest things, you know, a friend of mine uh, reminded me of this yesterday, you know, how preachers say the devil is a lie. No, the devil is not a lie. <laughs> the devil does not lie. Uh, they, they, they unveil their intentions. They reveal their intentions. They do it in front of you, mafia style. If you don't pay this, you don't pay that, they will break both your legs. So there's no lie in that. We are gangsters. We do call the shots, and we do uh, intend to maintain this equation of white over non-white as long as we are in existence. So there's no lying to that. That's in-your-face reality. So, again, Justice, please find many ways. Find altern- Read alternative newspapers. Listen, watch alternative television. Go online and hear alternative news. Hear from a different perspective other than Fox, which stands for, you know, uh, foolish, opinionated xenophobics. So find find ways to, to reduce your dependency. Or don't get so in love with sports to where you take it personally, gentlemen, to where it's affecting your moods when your team loses. That has nothing to do with your liberation. It has nothing to do with you as a man. And so uh, uh, just keep those things in mind. You know, de-plug, disengage, uh, and, and practice uh, thinking, practice meditating, uh, and, and, and you will, things will come to you, and you will begin to shape a different reality. Read and make a conscious effort to be conscious. Make a conscious effort to uh, be cognizant of what's going on around you and whose uh, uh, foot is on your neck and who is defining, and who is um, uh, determining this and making decisions for you. Be conscious about that. Okay. Um, thank you for coming on uh, today's show. And um, I really, really enjoyed uh, having you. And um, I don't have any more questions. Thank you, Justice. I'm, I'm very honored to be here. It was my pleasure. Um, I have not seen any hands fly up, so I would assume people are good. Um, the last question I wanted to ask before I, again, give out the website, holylockdown.com, uh, holylockdown.com. Um, oh, the threat worked. All right. And the person who called in, 1320, 1320, your line is open. I just wanted to thank him for coming on the show also because I think he speaks with conviction and also without fear. I find that even though some of your guests, they do, they are very knowledgeable, I feel that some of them may hold back. I don't think he holds back, and I appreciate that. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Uh, thank you, sister. I appreciate that. That's one of the reasons is because, you know, I understand that this is a game. I understand where our spirit of apprehension came from. And when you understand how you arrived at where you are psychologically, there's nothing to be afraid of because it's all an illusion in the first place. A person who dialed in last four digits, 4462. 4462, your line is open. 
Yeah, this is uh, Black Murgatroyd. Um, I just wanted to ask a question about relationships. Um, and it comes down to people who are more conscious and people who are not so conscious and the different problems that Christianity can create as far as, like, you know, relationships between black males and black females. Okay. Well, um, I am not going to uh, profess like Steve Harvey (laughs) to be an expert on relationships, but I will tell you this. It's very difficult when you have differences, uh, philosophical differences. It would be very difficult for me to to be with someone who is uh, insistent upon putting a tree up uh, in the house on Christmas or going to church. And I think that the church has done a lot to break up our relationships, and that is why the church, there is more divorce in the church than in the secular world. That is a fact. That is not made up. That is a fact. Uh, Divorce is more prominent amongst Christians than non-Christians. But I will say this. One of the things that women tend to do is to bring their preacher in the bedroom. I don't want to hear about pastors. This is our time. I don't want to hear about what pastors said. And they tend to hold more deference and honor and respect for their pastor. How is it that you can give this man some money and we're struggling? You know, you can tie to this man, but our light bill is in, in danger of being cut off. So it's hard. It's very difficult when you got women thinking that they need Jesus more than they need you. But um, this is what has helped to cripple our people. We are essentially uh, hypnotized. We're we are we are really we're really you know going through a, a mental mental health crisis. And uh, as far as relationship, brother, all I can tell you is you know. There is no greater joy than waking up in the morning and being a sovereign, free, liberated, thinking man. It doesn't get any better than that. You are not obligated to anything or anyone. You are not beholding to any institution. If someone calls you an anti-Semite, it doesn't even apply to you because you don't subscribe to the fairy tales within the Bible in the first place. If someone calls you a Gentile, you don't know what that means because you know that you come from a lineage that is so much older than a Jew or a Gentile. And how in the world are you going to put a Jew first and then everybody else second? So I would just implore you to try the best that you can to have someone who can meet you in the mind because if you don't, and your conscience, and this person insists upon uh, uh, continuing with their unconscious ways, not investigating, not researching, and not taking heed to what you have to say, uh, good luck. (laughs) Uh, Author of uh, The New Doubting Thomas, The Bible, Black Folks, and Blind Belief, uh, Jeremiah Kamara, the YouTube channel, uh, Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, Kamara714, uh, Kamara714. Um, 
before uh, we we wrap the program up, uh, if you would like to share anything about uh, other products, people can pick up books, uh, slave sermons that we should be on the lookout for. I wanted to ask you, uh, in one of your slave sermons, uh, you talked about the difference between independent people and dependent people is how they spend their time. Uh, If you could kind of wrap things up uh, explaining that difference for our listeners. Well, sure. I mean, you know, you're going to run out of time, Gus, before you run out of money. So that shows you right there that time is our greatest commodity. And what is the point in continuing? You know, when you add up that time, uh, if we include drive time, prep time, and the dissembling time, we're looking at six or more hours every Sunday. And if you throw in Wednesday, we're looking at four more hours. And if you if you add that up over a period of ten years, we're looking at you know a significant amount of time that we spend in church without a significant a lot of things to show for it. So uh, the last thing that we want to do is squander time because they can take money from you but as long as you know you realize that money can make you rich financially but it cannot enrich you then you will value your time more than you will your money because often they are intricately connected so if you spend your time wisely you may see your money growing if you value your time and appreciate your time and not engage yourself in those diversions which are specifically placed here to rob you of your time. They are doing exactly what they set out to do. They, I mean the establishment. They want to steal your time. They want to rob you. They want you focusing on the television. They want you to focus on Sarah Palin and Kim Kardashian's divorce. They want you all up into that foolishness to where you don't have time to even exercise your right to be sovereign, exercise that sovereignty that you are that is inherently yours, that belongs to you. And this is what we must do. So that that's what is, is, is meant by that, Gus. Value your time. Respect it and treasure it. And if you do that, you will find yourself disengaging from those things that take you away from your precious time. Mm. Trav lyrics, uh, value your time and energy more than money and things. Context of white supremacy. I hope uh, the past uh, roughly 130 minutes has been a constructive investment of your Saturday evening, Mr. Kamara. Uh, We have thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Tons of people called and listening in, so uh, it seemed like people were real eager to hear from you. Um, We definitely would love to have you back as well uh, to uh, chat about other issues. Uh, I saw you had a post on your blog about uh, racism and football. I didn't didn't even have time to get to that, but uh, if if you'd be interested in coming back to uh, share some more of your time with us, we would love to have you back. I would love to, Gus. I want to thank you. It's been my pleasure, and I appreciate your guest. And uh, I just want to say I would be honored to, to, to come back.
and uh, thank you for uh, for for your time as well as the listeners. Outstanding. Again, the uh, the latest book, the new Doubting Thomas, the Bible, Black Folks, and Blind Blind Belief, Blind Belief. Uh, the website holylockdown.com. Uh, again, holylockdown.com. Real pleasure to have him on the program, our guest, Mr. Jeremiah Kamara. I hope you have a uh, fantastic weekend. Keep up the great work, and uh, we will definitely be in touch soon, sir. Thank you very much, Gus, and the same to you. Thank you very much. Outstanding. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Context of white supremacy, Gus T. Renegade and Justice. Uh, We are coming right back. I will check since there are people on the line. If you want to share anything, uh, I'll give like 20 minutes if you all want to share anything about this particular broadcast, and then we will be right back uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, the roundtable zeitgeist. Uh, You can all call in. I will open up the lines as people call in, and we'll just chat about the films. But uh, if you all have anything you would like to share about this program, I will take one moment to support Mr. Williams at counterracism.com, and uh, then I'll open the lines up. So if you all want to share anything, you will have the opportunity to do so. Context of white supremacy. Is racism hurting you? On issues of race, are you unable to speak, think, and act with clarity and confidence? Are you tired of laughing when nothing is funny, smiling when you are not happy, agreeing when you really disagree? At counterracism.com, you can learn specific strategies and techniques to counter the behaviors of the people who practice racism in all areas of activity, using words correctly, following counter-racist logic, even counter-racist science projects designed to reveal what racism is, how it works, and how to counter it. The open source code writing format allows you to pick and choose from a variety of counter-racist suggestions so you can produce the code that works for you. Stop by counterracism.com today and help replace racism with justice. That's counter-racism.com. Context of white supremacy. Really enjoyed hearing from Mr. Kamara. It was uh, it was an effort to get him on the program, but I think it was uh, worth the effort. Hope you all enjoyed the broadcast. And again, we will be right back um, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, the Zeitgeist Roundtable. Uh, actually, I'm going to rest my voice. The people that called in, uh, your line is open. If you called in, if you had anything you wanted to share, I'll give uh, 20 minutes. If you all have any comments, uh, all the folks that called in, your line is open. I hope the background noise can be kept down. Everybody that called in, your line is open. Hello, may I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi, this is 0106 again. I would just like to say that I've dealt with what he was talking about all day today. I'm the only one in my home that does not observe Christmas, 
every female family member, I've told that to. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, well, what did you do? Well, you know, me and my daughter go to church three and four hours. All the men I spoke to, no one's in church. None of the men are in church at all. They refuse, only the women. So I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. That is the uh, programming, I think. That is the program. And I've said that before. Like, people get almost kind of hostile. Like, I think it's blatant that this is real important to maintaining the system of white supremacy because people get, like, an attitude if you are not down with uh, with Christmas. It sounds like that's what you experienced. Is that is that accurate? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, I have a 22-year-old cousin. She's looking for a book called Falling in Love with Jesus. It is... <laughs> I only have one female that was Christian today that respected the fact that I don't observe any of the holidays. She said, I know you don't observe, so how are you today? Everyone else, forget about it. Yep, I know the feeling. That's why I am in Seattle, not around a lot of (laughs) black people. (laughs) Tell her the truth. Telling the truth, I re- that really stood out. Like I remember when I came to the West Coast, and I was not around a lot of black people. Just little things like, uh, you know, the absence of a lot of church being a dominant presence. Um, they have Sunday basketball. Like you can go at ten o'clock in the morning and play basketball. And I was like, this would be blasphemous. You know, where I'm from, like, what? Basketball at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? You are going to hell. Yeah. 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 And I've told I'm going to hell by people who ain't never even read a Bible. (laughs) Can somebody hurt? Yes, sir. Uh, I I had made the comment earlier about the... uh, show that I was on earlier, The History of Christmas in America. Right. And right. I I was absolutely flabbergasted by this individual earlier. I mean, uh, he apparently was a pastor of a church, and he was up there, and, and the premise of his show from his title, I, I didn't come near to debate him about whether Jesus was a historical character or not. He the title of his show was The History of Christmas in America. And he was giving out all these facts about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was written in this year and the origin of Santa Claus. And his premise was that all of these pagan rituals are messing up what is supposed to be a high holy day of Christianity and so forth. And, And he was talking about how Christ was such a liberator, the historical figure that he says is Christ is such a liberator. And I just merely pointed out that on this day, if you're putting forth that the focus should be on the gift of love or or the ministry of love, what greater gift than Harry Moore and his wife, who were civil rights workers who gave their lives for the liberation of black people. And this man went off on me. I mean, he started talking about Martin Luther King, uh, Rosa Parks, and I said, sir, none of that has anything to do with what I'm asking you. 
everything about the history of Christmas. I brought up two individuals who were killed by suspected racists one Christmas. And don't you think that in the spirit of talking about the history of Christmas in America and observance of it, it's important to acknowledge individuals who are black, who gave up their lives, who followed the so-called example of Christ? And he was like, I don't want to hear anything about anything. And I was like, but that doesn't make sense to me. But this man, I mean, he, it was like he literally had a meltdown. And he immediately, after we hung up, he played the record that was like, uh, there's nothing like Jesus. And then he came back with uh, anybody who calls up, I don't want to hear anything about any Harry Moore or anybody else. This is Jesus' day, and I don't want to hear anything about anything but Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it was crazy. And, you know, uh, and just by way of information, you know, uh, I did the seminary dance at Princeton, uh, considering that whole thing. I dated a young lady who was a seminarian who's now going on to be a pastor. My grandfather's a pastor. His brother's a pastor. My great-grandfather's a pastor. And so I have a significant amount of, experience or information on what goes on behind the scenes of the black church. And uh, it's really, really sad when you look at the level of programming that's embedded in individuals who are black. They don't want to hear anything but Jesus. I know a young lady who's a deacon who she's been celibate for eight years now because the Bible told her she needs to wait for the man that God has for her. So she says Jesus is her man. She hasn't had sex in her 30s, and she's waiting around for Jesus to either be her man or to provide her a man, and I don't see that happening ever. And that's the story of a lot of black women. It's Are we still on the air? Uh, yes, sir. I muted my line to. I didn't know if other people had things they wanted to share or. Not everybody that everybody that called in your line is open, so. Anybody with, uh, I guess, so-called family members who were celebrating Christmas today? My whole household. Is that me? Wow. That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. I mean, it it wasn't too bad cause, because they already know. I think the holidays are impractical and they have nothing to do with us, and I made that very clear. Just leave me alone. I, I, I isolated myself to one room. <laughs> what, what, what surprises me is that, you know, 
my 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 own child, she's ten years old, and she's able to deduce and say that, Dad, if if they say that Christmas is Jesus's birthday, why does everyone else get presents? And if a ten year old can understand that, I don't understand why grown people don't understand that. I understand and I definitely appreciate an opportunity for families to come together who may not normally get to see each other, and I definitely think that's a positive aspect. But when folks get so embroiled in the concept of what's been put forth as Christmas, it's a very sad thing. And I don't get into the debates with folks about whether or not they put up a white baby Jesus or a black baby Jesus or an older Jesus or a younger Jesus or Santa Claus, I, I just no longer have the desire to even engage in those conversations. When people, uh, I hear Christians, I've heard Christians all day on Facebook arguing with folks because someone will say Merry Christmas and it's spelled X-M-A-S as opposed to Christmas spelled out and they're like, don't take the Christ out of Christmas, and they'll go off over that. And it's just been crazy. And then if someone says Happy Kwanzaa, they go off on that person. You know, this is the Lord's Day, and and you know, and I, if I just say to folks Happy Holidays, I don't know what you celebrate. Happy Holidays, whatever it is, and keep it moving. And folks go off anyway. It's crazy. That is insanity. That that is insane. I, I tell all of my friends, there's no God in religion. Because if they all followed the principles, it wouldn't be all these wars and all this headache and all that arguing that you saw on Facebook. Yeah. I, I also posted that you know on my Facebook because I use my Facebook as a as a weapon. I also posted that uh, while everyone is with their families, whatever you celebrate today, let us stop and reflect that the more family is celebrating is not celebrating because 59 years ago, their mom and dad were killed fighting for black people. And people said, oh, you're always posting something militant. It's always got to be this black stuff. And uh, it's just no winning. Uh, um, uh, I wanted to share uh, Tater Pie. She had a a comment about uh, the attachment, I guess, to the male Jesus figure. Um, She was saying that black people are taught, particularly I think black females are taught that uh, we can depend on, particularly black females can depend on God, white Jesus, but not the black male. And uh, she was just talking about the impact of that. Uh, she said uh, we're supposed to believe that a black male died for the sins uh, if racist, white supremacists, and everything is okay because he died for their sins as a as a question. Um, yeah, just to ponder, frontator pie. Uh, we'll be back, as I said, in uh, less than 30 minutes. The Zeitgeist Roundtable 
Uh, if you've seen the films, you should call in to share your views. Um, I wanted to, my views, just things that I saw today associated with the wackiness of Christmas. Um, number one, um, the uh, Miami-Los Angeles game, they had Kobe Bryant, a uh, victim of racism, white supremacy. Uh, they had him out. And uh, they generally, they wheel out, like, uh, different basketball players or whatever the game is. They'll wheel them out to say something, you know, yay for the holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever. And so they wheel him out, and uh, he says, uh, you know, the best part of the day, you wake up, and it's Christmas, and you know Santa's been here. And I was just like, oh, like, I was really, uh, I was just offended that he would say that. I was like, say anything. I mean, you could have said, you know, you wait, you get to spend time with family, you know. My family, I have, my mom's a great cook. Like, he could have said something that would have still been acceptable, and it wouldn't have been, you know, you know Santa's been here. Just, oh, man. Like, uh, that was one tough moment. And then they had, uh, wow, how about that? They had Mariah Carey. Um, She was, like, singing the intro, I guess, for the game. And I was just like, wow, that's interesting. They have this uh, mulatto temptress. Uh, up to promote and gyrate uh, at the beginning of the game. I just I thought that was interesting, but those are two observations I had of of some of the Christmas Christmas antics. I said a black male talking about Santa Claus to you. Well, that's part of the sports conditioning. They have to toe the party line. Uh, they talked about that on one of the cow shows earlier about, you know, sports and religion. Uh, you know, you have to give a shout-out to your Lord and Savior. And if you don't, you're not throwing the party line. So in terms of his endorsements and so forth, he's got to maintain the facade of whatever the holiday is. If you're talking about Thanksgiving, the very last thing you better say is, Let's remember first Americans, Native Americans. Uh, you, you can't say that. And then, you know, like uh, the young lady who sent you a comment earlier and said uh, the black woman relies on Jesus as her savior. I pointed out to, uh, and I, I did a lecture a few months ago, and I, I drew some parallels because people talk about this carpenter, Christ character all the time. And I pointed out the parallels between an actual historical figure, Denmark Vesey, who was a carpenter, who did lay down his life for the liberation of black people, who was actually killed, who we do have some historical documents on this individual, and some black people actually lost their minds. That I made that parallel. I think a few of their heads exploded, and one or two of them looked like they were about to have an aneurysm. You know what I just thought about it when he said Christians um, divorce more than secular people? I, I thought about one of my cousins. She went to seminary, became a pastor or something. That broke up a marriage. That broke up a marriage because her husband is, is Jesus, Jesus. And her husband just, no, he's us. 
Well, a, a, a statistic that most people don't know, and I did the seminary dance, a statistic that most people don't know is that most people, when they go on a, on a level of obtaining their masters in theology, most of the people who become pastors or go the seminary route, it's approximately 60% of them who leave the faith altogether. And my ex-person that I was dating happened to be one of those individuals who had some serious questions as to her vocation after attending seminary, uh, after finding out and learning of some information that the average lay person doesn't know about, she had some severe questions as to whether or not she could get up in that pulpit. And the average person doesn't know that. So a lot of people are in that pulpit and they're they're expositors of a doctrine that many of them don't hold to, hold to, and it's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, We are going to get ready to wrap this one up so that uh, we can get ready to come back and do it all again. The uh, Zeitgeist Roundtable. Um, Justice, did you want to give your email address and uh, the blog address as well? Sure. Justice.asap at yahoo.com. Again, justice.asap at yahoo.com. Blog address, just do justice today dot blogspot.com. Again, just do justice today dot blogspot.com. Groovy. I hope uh, everyone enjoyed the broadcast. Uh, Jeremiah Kamara, holylockdown.com. Hopefully we can have him back on the program. Outstanding material. Uh, we will be right back, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, Zeitgeist, the roundtable. As soon as you call in, I will open your line up, and we will have a nice uh, chat about uh, those films. Uh, again, uh trying to get uh, the funds to pay for one year of service, premium service here at Blog Talk Radio. I was going to do a fundraiser in January, but I will start a little early just uh, because they're giving a discount where you can pay for one year of premium service where it's something uh, like right at $300, a little less than $300 for the full year. Um, I don't think that's uh, too, if you think the program is constructive. If you think the program is constructive, I would like to see if we can knock that out as soon as possible. Uh, I think it will allow for uh, more phone lines, more promotion. It should be uh, a constructive investment if you think the uh, material that we deliver here is uh, of value. At any rate, we will be right back, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. The Zeitgeist roundtable context of white supremacy uh, justice inevitable. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.